welcome to the Third Sounding Board interview podcast. I'm Rob Langham and in January 2018 my fellow podcaster Ben Woolhead and I pitched up at Welsh Craft Beer Emporium Pop and Hops in Cardiff to interview Trev McCabe, proprietor of the business but also the long-running head honcho of Oddbox Records. Over the course of 35 minutes or so Ben and I quizzed Trev about his various ventures and I'm sure you'll agree that it's a fascinating insight into the ins and outs of running a record label and a music shop. I hope you enjoy it. So Trev, you started Oddbox Records in 2009, but I understand this wasn't your first venture into running a record label. How did you get into the business? Blogging was how I got into it. I started a blog in 2003 or 2004 called Lost Music. We then started putting on shows with a couple of friends under that name. One of the bands then asked us, do you know anyone who puts out records? And the three of us just looked at each other drunk in the pub one night after seeing them. <laughs> now, we do, without any idea of how to do it. So Lost Music lasted from 2007 to 2009. I ended Lost Music really because it was getting to the point where we weren't agreeing on what we wanted to release and musical differences basically. And I was like, I'm not happy to sink cash into something when I'm not 100% behind the record, the release or the band. So I kind of walked away and had one single lined up that was supposed to be a Lost Music single and I didn't want to let that band down so I said I'll start a new label. Um, that's, and that's pretty much how it was started in 2009. Yeah, and um, so you're on your own pretty yeah. much making all the decisions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's yeah. interesting the fact there's sort of musical differences within the label I've never really kind of thought about that but obviously I guess it happens but well, you know it's got to be yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. There, there was three of us um, and what really happened there was three of us to start with what happened was it, with three of us there was a vote two of us liked it one of us didn't we did it but one of the guys had to leave because he had family commitments that recently come up and it got down to two of us doing it and then I like it the other chap didn't yeah or he liked it and I did and vice versa you know and it was like there was an impasse there it was what do we do and I was like well, there's no point sinking money into something if you're not really into it so I just like oh, I'll, I'll, let's let's stop this and I'll, I'll do something else yeah and I didn't know if I would continue doing a label but when this band single which we pretty much paid for to get pressed was ready I was like well I might as well do that on my own label and then spent an afternoon thinking of a name <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> and, a good name yeah and then then and then that was nine years ago i think we've done about 120 releases since brilliant brilliant and yeah talking about the music i mean it's very broad church musically and are there any particular genres of music you've really looked to promote or are there any others you'd like to get more heavily involved in um i honestly don't think in genre terms these days i've come like the the internet crowd that on Spotify where genres don't mean so much people of magpies I've always been a bit like that when I was a kid I, I had a mod badge but an ACDC album on my arm <laughs> so you know, it, you know I've always been a bit all over the place and so for, for for that I don't think in genres I just have to like it and really like it to spend money on it which is what you do when you're running a label yeah it's not, oh, I like this £15 worth in, in HMV. No, I like this to the tune of how much it costs to make a record. Yeah. And that's that's a big difference. And I think, I for me, I've just really got to be passionate about the band, the song, or a combination thereof to make it work. And that's really the impression you get of the classic labels down the years, isn't it? Now, a lot of them had that one impresario, you know, Evo Watts Russell or like Alan McGee, you know... And, Jeff Travis, you know, they, they, those are the impression you get, aren't they? Mm, that, yeah, know, yeah. Them were. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's all that it's all that thing where you know you've got to have a bit of an ego to do a label. Yeah. You're basically enforcing your tastes onto people <laughs> by by want of putting it out and hoping well, you, to get it getting it onto people. You're putting it out there, but you and hoping people to. You're not kind yeah. of actually forcing it on people, but yeah, yeah. But you know, there, there there is there is there is some element of ego to that. I think I, I've had chats with other label bosses, and it it it. You know, you like to think you're you're curating some really interesting music. Whether that's true or not, others can judge. But it's it's definitely the collection is stuff that I would really really release still re-release now whereas I've talked to some label bosses and they've, they've been doing it for 20 years and there's some stuff they said they wouldn't go back and listen to now really whereas yeah. whereas I, I pretty much could go back and listen to nearly every release I've done mm. is that and because they've kind of the tastes moved on or they, they feel I, like they got swept up in some kind of wave or whether their tastes have changed or not because my tastes have definitely changed but I can go back and listen to a jangly pop single from 2009 and think that's a really good jangly pop single yeah. it's not what I would choose to play at home at the moment but I still think it's really good. Whereas I've heard other people say, I, I can't listen to half of the stuff that I released in 2001, mm. which I find very odd. I think Alan McGee said about a slow dive and that's a bit silly now, doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> he looks a bit silly most of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, although he is, you know, I think I've got a lot of time for him in lots yeah. of ways. And so, so how did you go about commissioning acts for the label? Do you approach bands or do they approach you? I've approached probably two or three bands and said I want to do a release with you and only two or three times have I done that and that's actually come off Right. I may have approached a few more but I think two or three have actually come off 99% of the time it's people approach me and when I was in London I was a gig promoter I was putting on two shows a month I was getting through what I say 100 bands a year and lots of them would be new bands because there was opening bands and four bands on a bill and I just got excited by a lot of new music especially in 2009, 10, 11, 12 when I was doing a lot more shows so that, it just came became natural that if I liked the band, they were good live, I thought they had the songs natural progression was to say hey do you want to do a 7 inch or do you want to do an album and then I do get submissions but as I've mentioned previously in other interviews 98% of the stuff you get is absolute rubbish and occasionally something will come through that you really like and you want to work with them I think that's happened about eight times eight nine times since Oddbox started that I've actually acted on a band that I don't know who submitted me something and it's been that good that I've gone right I want to put this out yeah doesn't happen very often no I can well imagine I mean as someone who works in a different form of media like book publishing it's it's quite similar actually yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I mean you, you, you mentioned already you done quite a lot of promoting particularly back in London but I mean how do you go about promoting the bands that you've signed you know I'm not talking so much about I mean obviously gigs is one thing but also just generally getting them into the consciousness I would say social media plays a role in that but not as big a role as when you're promoting a show I think shows rely on you know Facebook likes and attendances and all that sort of stuff I don't think record labels rely on it as much I think videos are, are quite important Getting stuff on YouTube and getting it shared, that's quite important. I maintain a promo mailing list, which has DJs, bloggers, websites, journalists on it. And if I was professional, I would have a nice nice up-to-date sheet and follow up every email that I send. But I find even now that I'm self-employed, I, I don't have the time to actually do all the follow-up. So unless you pay someone to do the PR, you basically 
you basically put out a, a mail shot saying it's here, and then about a month later you say, did you get my mail shot? And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But money was no object. You'd probably want to pay someone to do your press for you, but you know, it adds a thousand pounds to the cost of a release to pay someone, and then you weigh up: do I want to do one release a year and spend X amount on it, or do I want to do five releases a year and spread the money out? I kind of find the label is is doing well enough as a stepping stone label, as in I press up three hundred and that's enough, and then I can do just enough promo to get rid of that sort of stuff. Whereas I, I'm not looking to be, you know, the next level up where you're selling five thousand records or ten thousand records. That's a different league, and it takes different time and different commitment, which I don't have at the moment. It can, yeah. be, it can be a double-edged sword, then, can't it? Because yeah, if you if you suddenly had a, a hit on your hands. Then you've got, you've got you know you've got to get things pressed fast, and it can be equally difficult. And then, I mean, I know this is from a different field, but I used to work for a, a Welsh publisher had a, a Costa Prize winning um, poetry book, and they suddenly had you know Watson's demanding copies there and then, and we're going to sell them for this much, and they end up losing money on something that actually won a prize, which seems ridiculous. But that's that's, that's the the cost of being like a small enterprise. And yes, yeah, so if you're kind of making sure that you're always going to sell out whatever you print you, you press, yeah. then that that's the, that's the kind of key thing, isn't it? Really. But crucially, I mean, you were talking about pressing but what about downloads and, and sort of people who just you know is that a big part of the sales I think, and I think MP3s are pretty much over aren't they I don't see downloads as a big thing anymore when I first did the label 2009 I could put something up for download and whatever was streaming then it probably wasn't Spotify it was something else but downloads would, would generate a couple of grand a year Yeah. now it's a couple of hundred pound a year really that's fascinating isn't it but mm. it's all through streaming now mm. and streaming as everyone knows, pays peanuts. Yeah, mm. yeah. I had one release come out in 2011, and that was a release where their previous album had sold 2,000 copies. The it was someone Wild Beast was involved on the record. It was produced by the same guy who produced the Wild Beast record. It had the same management company as Wild Beast, and their first record sold 2,000 copies. Bands were called Rosie Taylor Project. The second record I pressed a thousand on the CD, thinking this is going to do really well. Put it on Spotify. Did brilliantly on Spotify, eighty thousand plays, mm. but that killed the sales of the record. Yeah, scandalous, mm. isn't it? And the eighty thousand plays equated to four hundred dollars. That's just extraordinary. And that that was that was kind of when I was like, ah, okay, streaming's good because everyone's heard it, but it's bad because no one can afford to make anything now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people would have you believe that you can then present the streaming popularity as evidence to then that people are going to buy it but that doesn't seem no, to be the case no. does it, it didn't, yeah. didn't work on the only time I've had a Spotify mini hit yeah. as I like to call it yeah. didn't work for that time so much so I I had a phone telephone meeting with someone at Spotify that Billy Bragg weirdly set up because <laughs> <laughs> he was I saw a tweet of him playing in front of a Spotify logo and I said Billy what are you doing they're the enemy what are you doing <laughs> and he messaged me saying I can set you up a meeting and it ended up being a telephone meeting saying what can, what can you do for small labels and they didn't really have much to offer because I said the only way you can get it all works around playlists unless the play, you can get onto those playlists there's very little way of you know your music's on Spotify but no one knows it's there mm. yeah. yeah I refer people now to an early edition of the pod which I think was about five or six wasn't it from 2016 something like Slightly that later. where we discussed the ins and outs of streaming and Spotify which I think sort of did uh, create a, a bit we, of discussion we did talk about like revenues but it was largely from a sort of punters perspective I think wasn't it we weren't thinking about 
necessarily about no, labels, we is it? So yeah, it, it's we did shocking the amount of yeah. the, the, well, the amount, the little amount that you you get back from it. But so I mean, overall, is it a bit of a? I mean, in terms of the economics of it, it's it's somebody you have to keep a really close eye on. And, yeah, yeah, well, you just have to be realistic with how many how many you make. When I started the label in two thousand nine, I could easily press five hundred or a thousand and expect to sell at least seventy five percent of outrun. Mm. Now you can press a hundred or two hundred mm. and expect to sell fifty, sixty percent of that run. Mm. And that's not a bad release these days, mm. hundred and fifty sales. Yeah, it um, doesn't surprise me. And mm. that's and you know, and when you hear about Morris's latest record which went top five mm. but that was only five thousand physical sales. Really, yeah. Me. Yeah. So and those are people you'd imagine would be buying, still buying physical yeah. records as well. Yeah, when, when I read that, I was like, if Morrissey can only shift nearly six thousand physical records, all the other sales for that record were streaming. Mm. It, you, you, you know, physical records are nice, but you can't always shift them, and you've got to be realistic. Yeah, I mean, you've just announced that you. If I'm right, that you're going to focus on short run releases on both CD and cassette and avoid seven inch singles. You know, is it, what's that's, been the thinking behind that? That's the economics again. Seven yeah. inch singles cost just a little bit cheaper than an album to to make. Really? Yeah. Well, ballpark figures: an album pressed up for three hundred is about twelve hundred pounds. Three hundred seven inches is about nine hundred or a yeah. thousand. Yeah. So mm. you can sell a seven inch at most for six pound. Mm. You could probably sell a an album for 15 which is what I do 14, 15 pounds yeah but and more people will buy an album so it's just purely economics I love 7 inches they're my favourite format I've got an attic full of the bloody things yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love them but I, I just can't see any way of making them work yeah so small runs on tape and CD will work because I can press just 100 of those or record 100 of those I suppose mm. and then 100 of each and if you sell 200 you're going to be well in profit because CDs and tapes are a lot cheaper than vinyl to make. On yeah. a sort of tangent, I was going to ask about this issue I've heard from about other labels where did you have problems with the pressing issue as well in terms of the vinyl boom is seems great, but like smaller labels getting elbowed out of the way when the bigger labels have got big releases, for that, particularly for Record Store Day, I think. That yeah. was a big problem two, three, four years ago. Right. But I'd say the pressing plant that I go through now, which is actually the pressing plant that's in the Czech Republic because nearly all the UK firms go through brokers who then go to the Czech Republic they, they've they invested in more machinery and now I can turn around the record in about four to six weeks okay. whereas at the peak of it when Record Store Day was around I was told oh yeah you can have that six months time Yeah. of course the band have already toured Yeah. you've got no records for the tour Yeah. yeah that was really bad but my experience in the last year is pressing times are back to where they were and I think they've just upped the capacity and spent more money on, on pressing plant machinery. So coming back to the music in particular, which have been your most successful and satisfying releases? If we want it purely successful, it would be all the early ones because they're the ones that sold in volume. But I think I think the satisfaction comes out from when the record looks good and it sounds good, not necessarily on, oh yeah, that sold for 500 or 1,000 copies. So mm. I can't really pick one, to be honest, but... I'm always happy when a, a band get their debut single out on my label and then they go on to do well so bands like Chorus Girl had a 7 inch on my label then went on to a bigger label Penis recently did a 7 inch with me which we, we announced 100 it sold out in 8 hours 
Yeah. That was a year ago. Brilliant single as well. I yeah. What's then, it called again? That, that was I was just the Hundred Club series. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. it was it was it was a series of hundred I did, but then then the next because it had sold out a it was still at the press amount. I quickly emailed the press amount and said, "Can we up the press to two hundred and fifty, please?" Then <laughs> I put the other hundred and fifty up for sale, and they sold out in twenty four yeah. hours. But now they're on Alka Pop. Yeah, they yeah. should be doing good things this year hopefully they had a good EP towards the end of last year yeah and this this is spelled for those wondering is P-E-A-N-E-S-S yeah. yeah so you know I'm, I'm for me the, the great releases are when a band gets recognised and gets onto a bigger label who can give them more money more investment and more time to actually go on and be even more successful what about stuff that you've got planned for the next little while that it's, you really want to pick out you're very excited about at the moment we've got the Rainbow Reservoir album which is out in February doing a reissue of an album weirdly but it only came out on tape from a band from Scotland called The Pooches a bit Bell and Sebastian esque I suppose but their album was supposed to come out reissued last year but I couldn't get it back in time from the pressing plant but that was more to do with just logistics it wasn't the pressing plant in time for when they needed it so I said Look, let's just hang fire and when you need it next we'll get it ready for that so hopefully that'll be out later this year there's a couple of other things bub- bubbling under but nothing officially announced yet I don't think but there's a few it, it, and I'm scaling back what I'm doing as well so instead of having 8, 10, 12 releases a year it's probably going to be about 4 or 5 this year so yeah there's a few things bubbling under but not much I can mention at the moment because I think couple of the the acts might release on this label or they might be on a bigger label so I can't really mention them at the moment. You kind of always on the lookout for new stuff though at the same time so you know if something did come along you'd be like well yes I've got to do this. I I like to have that flexibility and that's kind of why tapes and CDs make sense in that I can do those quite quickly and quite cheaply and I can slot them into a release schedule not that I have to then find another couple of grand to do an album so I think I think for me at the moment it's 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 having that flexibility and I'm always looking out for new stuff but it's a question of how good the demos are. I'm not getting the same exposure to new bands as I once was because I'm not putting on shows so it's a question of bands finding me, not me finding bands now. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Rainbow Reservoir in episode 25 of the pod, who are an Oxford band that Ben and I actually know quite well, going back a few years. So I'm really excited about their release, and they've got a single Fuzzy out, and the album's yeah. coming out in February, is that Yeah, right? it's yeah. out in February. Um, it's called Channel Hannah. It's out towards the end of February. Um, it's just at the pressing plant now, so it should be should be out the end of February, coming out on pink vinyl. Great, <laughs> yeah. and they've gone. Down, they've got a, and that single fuzzy's got a video, hasn't it? Which is, uh, uh, they've made it with sock puppets. Yeah, which is which is very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, up, it's up on YouTube. I think it's yeah. on their YouTube channel, not mine. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great little video. And Angela from the band has a series of six or seven videos planned. Right, all with sock puppets for the album. <laughs> so I don't know which song she's going to do, but she's whether she scales back her ambitions and only does three or four, I don't know. But she keeps firing off ideas at me and I'm like, sounds brilliant. Where are you going to find the time to do all this? Great. Well, after this break, we're going to come back and talk about some of your other ventures, Trev. So Trev, as mentioned at the top of the show, you also have a retail venture that combines beer and vinyl and we're actually sort of sitting in this resplendent workspace yeah. at the moment and rather fine it is too pop and hops is its name tell us a bit more about it and where you set it up and when you set it up pop and hops 
was an idea I had when I was in London working an IT job for a charity that I didn't particularly like. And I was like, I know about records and I know about beer. <laughs> and we were fortunate enough to be homeowners in London. So we flogged our flat, moved to Cardiff and had enough money for me to quit my job and start this shop. And so far, so good. It's only been going six months, so we've been open since July last year. And at the moment, it's doing well enough to keep me here. Whether it does enough, well enough long-term to pay me, I don't know, because at the moment I'm not really taking a wage out of the business. I'm investing everything back in. But I've got another year where I can do that, and then if at the end of that year I can't afford to pay myself, that'll be it for the shop. But it's looking like there's a there's a business in you and a wage in you from the demand and how popular it's become just in six months and that's purely on word of mouth I think I did a few leaflet drops and so forth but people are starting especially the beer heads in Cardiff are starting to learn about it and the second hand record fans in Cardiff also come in quite regularly and root through the racks for the latest or the oldest <laughs> record they can find yeah yeah do you want to tell us exactly where it is in the city we're, we're out on Whitchurch Road which is about two miles from the centre, yeah. just past the student town of Cates. Mm. It's kind of in between about three different districts, I think. You're kind of, you know, there's there's, there's quite a lot going on on this road, isn't there? So it's yeah. quite a good place to, you know, people in bars and restaurants and things. Isn't there? It's but become very trendy for nice bars and nice yeah. restaurants, especially restaurants. And I think we're seen as part of that now, which I wasn't sure we would be. <laughs> How does it work in terms of in terms of sort of the, the premises as well? Is it? I mean, obviously, it'd be cheaper than being in the city centre, but it kind of those aren't going up as a result of the, the neighbourhood kind of changing. I haven't had a rent review yet, so no, it hasn't gone up. My next, <laughs> my, my first rent review is due in about eighteen months' time. Right. But I know in the contract it can only go up by ten percent, or ten percent, or the market value equivalent around here. But I know it's cheaper here because I looked in the city centre. You'd be paying four, five, six times what I'm paying your rent. And if you went a little bit closer to town, Albany Road area, which for those who don't know, is right bang in the middle of Roth and student area and quite a popular retail street. Even the rents there would be three, four times this. So this kind of works. And I think it's also an area a council will want to get you in. So you're in a rates rebate area. So my rates are really cheap because they want to get the street buzz in again and it's starting to work there's nice shops have appeared there's lots of residential around so people I, I do think like maybe this sort of place in the middle of a city people wouldn't necessarily go you know to whereas, no this is a better location whereas I think I think, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a better location yeah you've got a lot of people living very close by yeah mm. um, a, bottle sh- a bottle shop in the centre of town for me doesn't work because no one lives in the centre yeah. of town no record shops I think yeah possibly could work better in the middle in the middle of the town and I didn't expect the records to do very well but they're accounting for about 35% of the trade at the moment. So, you know, beer's definitely pulling pulling its weight more than records, but I did expect it to be something like 90-10 in the split. But records are doing pretty well, so much so that I'm always in the hunt for the new second-hand collections because I don't stock much new stuff because it's quite expensive because I'm a new customer. You have to pay for it up front, and it's new bands, and I'm always buying in stuff I like, which means no one else does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I can see the Bee Gees, Massachusetts and Foreigner behind me you know, <laughs> on that point. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, the second-hand stuff it, it really is a world of its own depending what people bring in. Like, I've just had a hip-hop collection in today. Mm-hmm. Loads of bands from the 90s that I, d- I have no idea who they are. 
but I'm, I've just been cleaning up the records this afternoon. I know if I put them out, I've got people come in that look for hip hop, and they will probably snap, snap it up. Yeah. yeah, we need to get David Cox, our regular contributor, yeah. down, don't yeah. we? Tell him, tell him to pay a visit. Yeah. 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 So how do you? I mean, when you, in terms of the vinyl, do you? Do you basically just get the donated effects? Well, not donated, but you're getting like a whole pe- collection from pe- people. People come in by collections. I've got a couple of people I know who do house clearances. So when a house is being cleared, they'll tell me there's 300 records, look like 70s, and they want 50p a record or something. Yeah. They don't even look at what it is. Yeah. And I buy it blind. So yeah. I could end up with 300 Baldunican records. Yeah. Or 300 rare site records from the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. But it, it can happen. I've, I've, I did one collection that was £500 and three records were worth £300 each. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that collection paid for itself. Mm. You know, and admittedly, a hundred of them went to a charity shop because they were just middle of the road stuff that won't sell, not even for 50p. Yeah. yeah. And have you quickly developed relationships with the breweries? And just to explain to people, I mean, it's very much what is currently being called craft as the selection, isn't it? Um, you know, you, you, you've got good relationships with their, their people. Yeah, I, I, I work primarily with local breweries directly. Anything further afield, you probably go through a wholesaler, right? Because yeah. they they buy it in bulk from bigger, from the breweries, and then they add a little bit, and then we buy it from them. That tends to be the way it works for, you know, most of the out of town beer. But most Welsh beers, I've either got a relationship with the brewery themselves, and the brewers bring it down, or there's a there's a couple of Welsh distributors for stuff that's just a bit further afield, yeah, like North Wales and that. Then I just go through a distributor that that they get it in. In, in bulk and not, I buy crates off them there's at least one brewer in this area of Cardiff isn't it in, in Roth so yeah Roth Roth have got their own brewery now yeah. Roth Brewery imagine title but they sell at the local farmers market on a Saturday I think they're in a few other shops in Cardiff but I'm pretty sure that when we took their beer in in July we were one of the first shops to take mm. them there's Wally's Delicatessen in town, I think, that has quite a good bottle shop, isn't yeah. it? But that, and I think they have quite a good local sort of selection, but I'm not sure what, how many other places there would be, to be honest. So. There, there are a few. There's a there's a really good bottle shop also on this street. Right. Um, but we tend, to, we tend to stock different stuff. So now there's two bottle shops in one area. People will travel and they'll right. come to this shop and spend £20, and they say, we're just going up the road. And I know they got there and spend another 20 But mm. that's fine, because... It's like if you put a record shop next to another record shop, both those record shops will do well. And it's proven, I think, to be the case with beer as well. I mean, people seem prepared to pay quite a premium price, don't they? For, they do. For craft beer. So, they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, are bo- there are bottles on the shelf that are £14, £15 pound a bottle. Yeah, yeah. But people do buy it. It doesn't sell in huge volumes, that sort of no. um, beer, but it, it does sell. And there are people out there that will just come in and pick out six rare bottles of beer. And spend eighty quid on it, and yeah. not even think about it. Mm. What do you put that down to? Is that is that the fact that people are less inclined to go out, and or, or beer is just becoming so expensive in pubs, so that you, know, you, you want to you have a drink at home, you might as well have something really nice. I honestly think it's people want nice stuff for drink at home, and also some of these beers save a couple of establishments. They're not available in pubs either. In, yeah. In, yeah, in Cardiff, there are two or three really good beer pubs in Cardiff, mm. but again. They've got a limited stock. They've probably got 30 or 40 beers that they can sell you. Uh, last count, there was 260 in this shop. Mm. So even if you even if you go to a nice beer shop, they're going to have 16 things on draft and 20 cans, different cans. So 30 or 40 beers there. I think it's just the, the, the huge variety that is available. Like I stock 
two, three hundred beers. The guys at the road stock at least three, four hundred beers. There's another bottle shop in Roth that stocks another three hundred. And we haven't got a huge amount of crossover between us. So you add that all up, there's probably seven or eight hundred different craft beers for sale in Cardiff. I have to say, the selection is absolutely magnificent. Yeah, I mean, really tremendous. So uh, get yourself down here. But if you, if you like your beer, even a little bit, you know, it's, it's just tremendous. The only difficulty will be choosing what to buy. Yeah. Coming back to the music, I'm looking around and I think the answer to this might be no, but is there a prospect to the shop hosting any live performances? Still talk me applying for a bar licence for the right. shop. Right, yeah. And if that's the case, acoustic acts could well be a thing, but yeah. only acoustic, mainly because I've got neighbours above. I've got neighbours to either side because they're both shops but I've got a neighbour who lives above me and I think me plugging in a really loud fuzzy guitar band <laughs> would, would be the first chance to noise complaints and getting kicked out yeah. but I think I could get away with acoustic stuff I did try and do some acoustic stuff last year but I just wasn't ready the shop wasn't ready I wasn't ready to take it on and now I'm probably going to wait till I'm going to just about to put in an application to change it so we can drink in in the shop and then once we get that license, yeah, I think it would make more sense because people would come to watch an acoustic buy a beer and I'd be telling them, don't open it. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work. No, so I decided, I decided to wait until I could actually serve them beer to drink in and then hopefully we'll do a little acoustic session so we can move some of the tables around. And You know, like you get in-stores in places like Spillers. You can only cram, what, 40 people in or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be the same sort of thing, 20, 30 people, mm. acoustic acts, and that would be it. Yeah, but I mean, eventually, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do something. Yeah, it's always a good thing. I always really enjoy that. And where you are, you're just down the road from a venue called The Globe. Have any touring bands stopped by? Only one. Yeah. Wire. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's quite an impressive yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Their album uh, from last year was reviewed, well, two years ago, was reviewed on the pod. Wasn't yeah, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the younger guys was a craft beer fan in the band, one yeah. of the newer members. I, yeah, don't, I, don't, um, I don't know their names. Is it Matt, Sim, is it Matt Sims? The, 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 yeah, the guitarist. Yeah, yeah, I don't know their names, unfortunately. Yeah. And that all happened by chance that I was walking down the Globe. I was coming back from work because I live near the Globe. I was coming back from work and my friend, tour managing the Wire Tour, and I bumped into him and I said, oh, I'll be in the shop tour. I said, I'll bring the, I'll bring the band down. <laughs> and the band came in, bought beer bought some rare site records and left yeah <laughs> got a yeah. photograph with them as well so oh that's good yeah. yeah well i'm sure in time you know it's not been open that long no, so no. there will be more so in terms of other ventures you've recently started a club night called asking for a friend which has taken place at tiny rebel and the moon in cardiff what motivated you to get this started and how is it going so far it's going really well we've done two at tiny rebel and we've done a one-off over christmas at the moon that was just a one-off me and my friend tim run it and the thinking behind it was that i missed doing a night as in promoting but i didn't miss losing money on getting touring <laughs> bands in bands. and yeah. paying bands you know when the 12 people turned up and you've guaranteed them 200 pounds and you're like bank of trevor it is there but so i i, I kind of don't didn't miss that and especially since i moved to cardiff because it's a lot smaller than london so smaller attendances were quite common and i was like actually i missed i i miss a night but i don't miss the live music side of it so we kind of had a thought thought that there wasn't anything really like that at the moment there's lots of club nights in cardiff but nothing playing scratchy lo-fi punk which is what we do and now we've got a regular residency at tiny rebel which is also a really good beer pub in town so it kind of fits that the shop people come down because they like the beer 
and they come to the night and a few came to the last one and then the music people come along who like the label so it's, it's a nice little mix just sounds like a marriage made in heaven and I've had my tea and a nice pint of Tiny Rebel Stay Puffed tonight. So, <laughs> yeah. Just out of interest, Trev, because you were in London for a long time, where were the venues that you were promoting stuff there? I promoted all over Brixton, Lexington in the centre of town near King's Cross, yeah. and then then as things moved um, east, it was into Dalston, venues like the Shackle Arms. Oh, that's a great event. Yeah, I used to run a regular festival at the Shackle Arms. Victoria in Dalston... Where else was it all? I've probably used about 25 different venues in London over yeah. time. F- quite a few of them, sadly, no longer venues. No, I mean, it's interesting to see how it's evolved, and I think we might try and get someone on from a venue to talk about the London scene changing. I mean, I'm going to see Snapped Ankles next week at the Moth Club, which I've not been to before, which is in Hackney, and that's a new one for me. Yeah, yeah. Moth's been there about two years. Yeah. It's a bit bigger, really nice venue, yeah. run by good people. I know a few band, a few people, a few bands that have played there all talk highly of it yeah but it's a little bit bigger than the than yeah. the, the shabby Shackerwell arms Shackerwell is wonderful though man it's such a great venue really yeah. really love that so yeah no, that's interesting so just to round things off and we kind of ask everyone this who comes on the pod what are some of your all time favourite records as a punter ooh all time favourites I can't not mention the Jesus and Mary Chain who are kind of <laughs> the, the band that kick started a lot of this noisy stuff for me back when I was a teenager so their album Psycho Candy for sure big fan of Neil Young as well so take it away from some of the noisy stuff and a bit more classic rock I suppose with After the Gold Rush really like that album bit obvious some of it would be a bit obvious probably The Velvet Underground pick any of their albums really I could play I could play them I, I, ha, I have been playing them for 35 years and I'm still not bored of them so from the 90s when everyone was into Britpop I didn't bother I was listening to Tricky and Massive Attack so a lot of trip hop stuff from that era for me especially Tricky and his, I really like Premium Tension his second album which is the one that everyone overlooks but I really like that it's a tough listen because it is rewarding though isn't it I think it, I'm still listens. playing it all these years on <laughs> yeah. whereas I don't play the Max is it Max and K I don't play that anymore yeah, yeah and, uh, it's, it, I know all the songs on it and I've played it a lot but when I play put a tricky record on, it will be pre-millennium tension. Actually, trip hop is something that we're hoping to devote a regular episode to, and actually, it might be worth coming back to Cardiff to record that one in view of this conversation. It'd be an interesting <laughs> uh, thing uh, to yeah, look I back be able to. to contribute I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't know much about it going on, but through the nineties, I, I basically got bored of guitar pop around the time of Nirvana. Really, I was like a bit bored of grunge. Not like Nirvana, but didn't like much else. Didn't like any of the Britpop bands really I was a fan of Pulp but yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> you're a man after my own heart yeah. <laughs> but then again I was a fan of Pulp but I bought my first Pulp record in 1987 so yeah. I didn't even have them lumped in with that lot yeah. I was like hang on a minute what's going on you sound a bit like me I'm in denial about The Cure being golf because I don't like the rest of golf Pulp I think is generally considered to be superior now I think and even oh, yeah, at the time yeah, so, I think a yeah. lot of people thought that but I mean I have got a lot of time for Britpop yeah. as evidenced by our Britpop show but I was equally listening to a lot of uh, trip-hop and dance music at that time as well so I mean it was a very interesting era I think and I mean trip-hop something that's maybe that could be ripe for a revival but I don't know I mean if you know, something comes out that does sound like it's you know, oh yeah the XX were like a million oh, yeah. miles yeah. Yeah. the influence is everywhere I think yeah. but anything to call itself trip hop these days would seem a bit retro yeah it I would think. yeah although Tricky released a really good record last year yeah, yeah. yeah he, he keeps 
putting them out and they keep being quite good so yeah. mm. Well, great. I mean, thanks very much, Trev. Just a reminder that our other two interview pods were with Simon Bailey of Future Perfect, the Oxford promoters who've got some great things coming this year, including some of the bands we talked about on the last pod, and uh, Steve Reynolds, who runs a really good indie club night in Reading called Darklands. So those are the two so far, and we're hoping to have quite a few more throughout the course of 2018. But thanks to Trev McCabe. And just a plug again for the record shop which is Pop and Hops Pop and Hops yeah yeah. we've got a website record and beer shop record and beer shop this is true and and above all really Oddbox Records as well I mean I really really urge you to hunt them out I mean I downloaded their best of 2017 mix earlier in the week and it's tremendous I'm really really enjoying it so it's uh, you know well worth and I think it's a sort of you choose what you pay don't you yeah you you can download it for nothing folks or you can give me a tenner yeah yeah so yeah needless to say I downloaded it for nothing anyway (laughs) (laughs) and we're wishing wishing you well for this year for the label and and, you know really wanting to see Rainbow Reservoir doing well I think yeah oh yeah I mean we're all on the same page on that one it's an Oxford band that we really like so thanks very much for Trev yeah thank you So there you have it. It was a pleasure talking to Trev and thank you to him again for being available for interview. A reminder that he also took part in a most recent regular episode, number 25, in which we gazed into the crystal ball of what might be installed musically in 2018. Thanks again. We're at Sounding Board 69 on Twitter if you wish to interact. Goodbye.